area. I don't think I've ever been introduced with my socks before, so I might as well just get that out of the way. So um, I was born and raised in the LA area, so I'm a Dodgers fan. I'm an LA Kings fan. I'm a Lakers fan, but I'm a 49ers fan. So I got to spend yesterday at the museum, which was a blast um, getting to see the Lombardi trophies. And so yeah, I've been walking around this morning showing off my socks. Um, because I am still very much a kid at heart. And um, so when you have to dress up, but you can still have some fun with it, you might as well, right? So, um, well, I have had a blast being here this weekend. And um, just Friday night and this morning, I'm just believing that God is going to continue to stir our hearts and um, continue to just challenge and teach us. Uh, I wanna give you a little bit about who I am um, I am married, um, have five kids, and um, I was a children's and youth pastor for over 15 years, full-time church ministry, and I've been with Johnny and Friends now for almost six years. And um, I've joked with people that I thought I left youth ministry, but since I now have five teenagers, uh, my youth group just follows me. And, um, and, and the problem is, you know, when I was a youth pastor and they would get cranky and moody, I could send them away and I could blame the parenting. And now I can't send them anywhere. And if I blame the parenting, then I'm blaming myself. And um, so yeah, life with the five teenagers, we are not bored. Uh, I live down in Camarillo, which is kind of like the Ventura, Santa Barbara area. It's actually right very close to where all of the fires and the mudslides have just recently happened. And so our community has been going through um, very similar to what I know just happened up in the Santa Rosa area and just the, just the devastation of what has happened there. So that's where I live. Um, I've been at Johnny and Friends, like I said, almost six years, and I continue to be fascinated by the role that God has me in because I'm the manager of church relations, and my job is to help create and design the resources that we use as a ministry to train churches how to do disability ministry. Um, I also have the privilege of leading um, the family retreat in Southern California that you're gonna hear more about this morning. And, um, and the thing that continues to fascinate me is outside of working at Johnny and Friends, I have zero personal touch or personal connection with disability. Um, none of my kids have a disability, um, extended family. I mean, it just was just not part of, of my world. And, um, and so when they were interviewing me and, and hire, wanting to hire me, one of their questions was, you know, what is my experience with disability ministry? And I was like, uh-oh, this is the part where now I don't get hired. And so I told I said, I have none. I, I've never experienced disability ministry. I really hadn't even heard of that phrase. And, um, and so then the guy who was interviewing me, he asked me, he said, so wait a minute, you've been a children's and a youth pastor for over 15 years. He's telling me that, you're telling me that nobody affected by disability ever came through the doors? And I said, oh, that happened all the time. He goes, well, what did you do? I said, well, I loved them and welcomed them. And I said, if they were a wheelchair user, we put them in the front row, because it just seemed really dumb to put them in the back row, because then when I'd ask all the kids to stand up for games or worship or whatever, then they couldn't see. I said, I don't know. And he looked at me and goes, that, that's disability ministry. He goes, that's exactly what we want churches to do. And I said, oh. I go, well, then I have extensive um, experience with disability ministry. And, um, 
and they hired me and I've been there for six years and love it, love what I get to do. Um, it, it's such a privilege and getting to hang out with Johnny Erickson Tata for any of you that know her or know her story, I can just tell you she's the real deal. Um, she is amazing. Um, I have never met a stronger and more gracious person than her. And um, so that's just kind of the context of of who I am. And um, But I want to tell you a quick story, and then we're going to get into the word of a young man named Gabriel. And about, uh, this was probably seven or eight years ago now, um, I, my wife and I, we were running a young adults group at our church. And Gabriel... Um, has some mild disabilities, um, some social awkwardness, social barriers, just didn't quite fit in. Um, but for whatever reason, he just loved me. And every week would come, Pastor Mike, can I help with this? Pastor Mike, can I help with this? And full confession, this is church, right? I'm allowed to confess in church. I did not interact with Gabriel well at all. I would look, began to look at him as a burden. I began to go, oh my goodness, can Gabriel please go talk with somebody else because I've got stuff to do. And there was an awkwardness there and there was just this, he wants to be friends, he wanted to honor me with everything he had. And in my busyness, in my self-absorbed world as a pastor, I know that I continued to kind of push him aside and, and would always, well, hey Gabriel, why don't you go help whoever, whoever I could get to interact with him. And, um, you know, there was a perfect opportunity that God had given me there to just simply show some kindness to this young man, to just love him and to welcome him. And, and quite honestly, I rejected him. I pushed him aside. And I was never rude, but I just never, never actually would even get myself caught in a conversation with him longer than about 15 or 20 seconds. And I start with that because I believe that's the complete opposite of how God actually calls us to live and calls us to work together. And so we're going to talk this morning about a better way to live. Um, the title of the, the teaching that God's given me, it's called Undeserved Kindness. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to um, 2 Samuel. It's going to be chapter 9. And I really believe that just kind of the purpose of what God wants for us this morning is that we would be able to start to look for opportunities to show undeserved kindness to what we would say are the least of these. Second Samuel chapter nine, and um, if you guys would humor me as, and then maybe humor me is not the right phrase, but would you be willing to stand with me as you are able? Uh, I wanna read a couple verses of the word um, I was raised in a church tradition where we want to honor the word of God. And um, so let me read a few verses, pray, and then we're going to see what God has for us. I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 9 of Second Samuel. And it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. 
The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray this morning, Lord, that that you would help me to get out of the way. And Lord, I pray that your words would teach, would inspire, would challenge, would encourage us this morning. Lord God, I pray that your word would be living and true. And Lord God, that, that you would show us where there are opportunities in everyday life. Lord, for us to just give undeserved kindness to the least of these, to begin to look at people the way that you see people and to then treat them accordingly. Bless us this morning in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So kind of the background to this story is that um, David, before he was king, his best friend was Jonathan. And as Jonathan began to realize, even though he was son of the king, he began to realize God had a different plan that was coming. And he and David had made this covenant together. And basically the covenant was, okay, whoever of us survives the craziness that's going on in Israel right now, whoever survives the war that we're in and says, we'll show kindness, we'll look out for the other man's household. And it'll be a lifelong, it'll be an eternal covenant that we're, we're gonna commit to each other and, and make this covenant. And um, so they made that and then war happened and then Saul, who was king at the time, was killed and so was Jonathan. And then through a process, David becomes now the new king of Israel. And after all kind of the dust settles, he hits the point where we're looking in this chapter and he goes, okay, I made a covenant with my friend Jonathan to look out for his family, to look out for his household. Now is the time for me to make good on that covenant and to see is there any way that I can now fulfill this. And so that's kind of the context of what we're looking at here in this chapter. And, and the first point out of this context or out of this text is just simply the idea that, that David's kindness, the kindness that he had promised to Jonathan is now remembered. And it starts with the entire house of Saul, not just Jonathan. It's interesting in verse one, David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The thing that's amazing to me about that is Saul spent the latter part of his life hunting David and doing everything he could to kill him. And so they weren't friends. They weren't going to dinner parties together. They weren't hanging out. David was in caves because of Saul. And yet because of the love and the friendship and the covenant that he made with Jonathan, that kindness in David's mind extended to Saul's entire family. I think it would have been easy and, you know, I probably would have gone there. He's going, well, I'll just find anyone connected specifically to David, but the rest of Saul's family, we're not talking to them. But see, this undeserved kindness that David's expressing, it was for everybody. He wanted this covenant to extend to as many people as possible. And so the promise made to Jonathan 
it really was in response to the kindness that God had already given to David. I mean, David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. He was, in their culture, he was basically a nobody. I mean, if you remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house and was looking for the next king to anoint, you know, big brother shows up, not good enough. Next big brother, next big brother. There's so many big brothers that you didn't know what to do with. David wasn't even in the house. And not only was he not in the house, Jesse, is almost as like Jesse forgot about him. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I've got that other kid. He's, he's out there with the sheep. Like, oh yeah, you're right, one more son. Forgot to bring him in so that the prophet could see him. So David is like the forgotten one. He's the, the lowest of the, and you look at every story of David, he shows up for the battle with David and Goliath with lunch, trying to serve his brothers, and they mock him, and they ridicule him, and they put him down. And then he gets anointed to be the future king, and is probably thinking, hey, that's a, that's a good gig. And then he spends the next years running and hiding in caves. You know, I mean, David, through this whole process, on the outside looks like, man, you need, to, you need to get a new job. You need to go a different direction. And yet God was with him every step of the way. And, and the kindness and the mercy and the grace that God had continually poured out upon David David is now in turn pouring out upon the household of Saul. The, the Hebrew word here is, and I'm going to say this horribly, is chesed. I did not do well in Hebrew in Bible college. That was not my strong point. Um, but it's the word, it's covenant kindness. And, and what it communicates, it's, it's really used most often to describe God's commitment to us. Where when he says he loves us, that love never stops. It's a covenant. He, he's all in. We're the ones that often kind of waver back and forth and we love him as long as he answers our prayers or we love him as long as, you know, there's money in the bank or whatever things that, that you know, the temporal that gets in the way. But when God says he loves us, it's this covenant. And so that's this word, this chesed word. It's the same word that was used back in 1 Samuel 20 when David and Jonathan made their covenant. So they were using a word very intentionally that communicated the level that God has poured kindness onto us, the level that God loves and cares for us, that's the level that we are gonna commit to each other. That, that's what this is communicating here. So as we look in this passage, it's important to know who is Mephibosheth? And I gotta be honest with you, the youth pastor in me loves this story just because Mephibosheth is just such a cool name. Have any of you named your kids Mephibosheth? <laughs> Probably not, but man, is that not, I mean, that's a name. That's, you know, you are not gonna be forgotten if your parents name you Mephibosheth. And so who was he? Well, first of all, he's the son of John, uh, Jonathan. He's the rightful heir to the throne because Jonathan was the son of Saul. And so there's a, there's a royal lineage there that he is part of. He was crippled due to an injury that happened when he was about two years old and, and all of the war was going on and there was attack. The nurse who was taking care of him as soldiers were advancing picked him up and took off running out of the house and dropped him. 
And when he was dropped, his legs, he became crippled and, and never recovered, never healed from that. You look at him now, he's homeless and he's hiding. He's not living in his home. The Bible says he's living in the home of maker. He's in somebody else's house and he's hiding. He's a social outcast due to physical and relational disabilities. You talk about a young man who has nothing going for him. Because the way it worked back then is if this family that was in the, you know, was in the throne is no longer and a new family is there, what the, that king, what David typically would do is let me go find the rest of this guy's family because I need to kill them all. Because if I can kill them all, they're no longer a threat to the throne. And so Mephibosheth knows this. He knows just he's in trouble. And he's socially out. I mean, he's got everything against him. And so this promise that David was keeping between him and Jonathan was very countercultural. I mean, consider the emotions, the fears, the concerns on the part of Mephibosheth. And then as word starts to get to Mephibosheth, it says, hey, King David's looking for you. King David's asking about you. You know, Mephibosheth has got to be going, oh no. Why? This, this can't be good. So let me ask you this. Have you personally, have you received and embraced God's kindness in your life? Like, would you be able to say in the same way that David is now expressing kindness to basically the household of his enemy because of God's kindness, have you received that same kindness? And then here's the next question is then, do you live out this kindness every day? Who crosses your path on a regular basis? Who is potentially a Mephibosheth in your life that every day they cross your path and you ignore them, maybe even you intentionally reject them and yet you're going, I wonder if they need Jesus. And you might be the only Jesus that they'll ever know. Who is God asking you to reach out to in the same way that David began reaching out and trying to find who was left of the household of Saul? So not only is his kindness remembered, but then as we move into verses six through eight, we begin to see that this undeserved kindness is revealed. It says, Mephibosheth, verse six, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? See, this, this story now starts to become incredibly personal. It's no longer there's this guy in another I'd be like, hey, buddy. Hey, man. I'd be like, I have no idea who this kid is. Because I just, I'm not smart enough to keep up with 500 kids, and I'd see them once a year. But they could remember my name because I was the guy on the platform who threw candy out to them and 
you know, led, led a game. And so I learned that I was at a distinct disadvantage there. But names are, are huge. And the first day I started working at Johnny and Friends, I have to admit, I had seen Johnny's movie when I was a kid. I knew who she was. I, I was aware of her. And, and quite honestly, when my friend first told me that Johnny and Friends was hiring, I was like, I do not want to move to the East Coast. And he was like, Mike, their offices are like 15 minutes from where you live. Oh, okay. I, I hadn't even realized they had, she had moved to Southern California. I just assumed the story happened back East and that's where she was. So I was aware of her. I'd seen the movie. And now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm working here. The first time I see Johnny is like, please don't be dumb. You know, but I'm thinking, I'm going to be a little starstruck, I think. So my first day of work, I'm going through stuff, and I'm leaving the, the offices. And as I'm coming around the corner of the hallway, she's sitting right there by the front door of the office. And she's talking to somebody. And I'm like, oh, man. I don't know. What do I do now? Because I can't interrupt the conversation. But I also don't want to be the new guy who just totally ignores her. You know, so I'm in this, ah. So I come walking around behind, and I kept, you know, try to keep respectful distance so that I don't interrupt the conversation. And I just said, good, good night. And I took like two steps. And she goes, oh, Michael, hold on a minute. And I was like, Johnny knows my name? It's like, how in the world does she know my name? And she calls me over, and we start talking, and she gets to know me and then introduces me to her friend. Oh, this is Michael. He's the new church relations man. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I, I leave, and I go out the door, and I call my wife, and I'm like, I don't need the car. She goes, oh, well, I go, I can just float home right now. I said, Johnny knew my name. You know, and it just, it was like, whoa, but how important is our names to us, right? And when someone says your name wrong, isn't it like, oh, you pronounced my name wrong. You clearly don't know me, right? Because that, that's important. And so David calls him by name. And then he begins to share the details of the promise. See, and Mephibosheth looked at himself, this phrase of, you know, I'm a dead dog. It wasn't necessarily this like martyr, like, oh, woe is me. But it was more of just, I know my place. My place is down here and you're the king up here. Why are you taking time for me? And David then spells out the details of the promise. First of all, he says, you know, the kindness is going to be extended. He says, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. So first, I was like, don't be afraid. I'm going to extend kindness to you. It's undeserved. Everything in society says that I should have you done away with. But because of your father, I'm going to extend kindness. But then it keeps going. It says, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. So not only is he extending kindness, but now he's restoring provision. Because by putting Mephibosheth back into the land and, and the, the holdings that Saul had, there's now going to be income. There's now going to be provision. There's now going to be the crops and the finances that would come from that would now be coming back to Mephibosheth. But then he goes one more step. And then he looks at Mephibosheth and says, and you shall eat at my table always. 
See, David then took it even further and granted him this honor. He restored his status, not only to who he was as Mephibosheth, but Ansem. You're now going to have dinner with the king every night. That's reserved for a few people. That is not something that the whole nation gets. And so this is what is offered out to Mephibosheth. This is this undeserved kindness. This is how God calls us to treat people. This is how God calls us to look at people. And I would ask us this this morning, do you provide value to other people in your life? Are you like a David that when you interact with people, when you engage in relationship and conversation with people, are you adding value to them? Are you bringing them honor? Are you bringing them dignity? Are you restoring in their life whatever it is the enemy is trying so desperately to remove? Are you an agent of undeserved kindness that you're able to say, I'm going to be Christ to this person? And then we're going to see this undeserved kindness just begin to flow. The last point, the, the last section of this, of this chapter is then just the kindness is reinforced. See, it expands beyond the here and now. So the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. See, this kindness, this covenant relationship wasn't even just for Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth had a son. It gets extended to the son. And the, and the passage implies that then it's just going to keep on going. This covenant relationship just goes and goes and goes. Mephibosheth regains finances, reputation, provision. He goes from a place of hiding out, homeless, waiting for his last day. He gets moved to where he's now treated as one of the sons of the king. And his, his own son gets the same thing. And here's what I, I love about this passage. When we're looking at it through the filter of disability ministry, all of this stuff happens to Mephibosheth. And then it says, oh, by the way, he was, he was lame in both feet. See, God won't allow the disability to be the defining characteristic. The defining characteristic for Mephibosheth is he's eating dinner at the king's table and he happens to have a disability. And I think a lot of times in our humanity, in our brokenness, we might see or interact with somebody with a disability and it becomes all about the disability. And God's saying, no, make it all about the image of God. And then we all have disability. We all have brokenness. Ultimately, sin is the greatest disability. 
And so God is saying that your disability doesn't define you. It's part of who you are, but it doesn't define you. So David's life here, he's showing us how we should live. In Isaiah chapter 1, it says, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. See, we are expected to seek out and to stand with the least of these, to look for the Mephibosheths in our life that God wants us to, to, to step into relationship with them, to redeem whatever has been lost, to be that beacon of kindness, that, that covenant love that says, we're all in this together because of the grace of God. I can tell you, I'm happy to say, I, I would say I'm slowly making progress personally from where I was years ago to interacting with Gabriel, where I looked at him as a, as a burden, as kind of a nuisance in a way. I was just like, ah, I've learned to slow down. I've learned to care about people at a deeper level. And why have I learned that? Quite honestly, because of disability. Because God has placed me into relationships that I am so grateful for. But some of my friends who have disabilities, every now and then they'll want to pray for me or want to have a conversation with me. I'm slightly type A OCD. I want to talk, let's do it, but then I got stuff to do. I got places to go. And some of my friends with disability, that's just not how they function. And so when they say, hey, Mike, can we talk? I'll admit to you my humanity side goes, I don't have time to talk. And then the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you do. And it forces me to slow down. So I want you to watch. We're going to show, I want to show a quick video as we wrap up here. As you watch this video, I want you to just prayerfully begin to consider how you might be able to show undeserved kindness to families such as the one that you're going to get to meet here that David modeled for us and that God calls us to and says, look at the grace that I've given you. Now turn, go and do likewise. You could consider family retreat a place that is filled with Mephibosheths who are looking for community, who are looking for people to love, to accept, to embrace, to truly do life together. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan. Sorry, that video gets me every time. I'm a big fan of, I, I love the Bible, but I'm convinced that God gave us the Bible so that we would actually live it out and not just read it and memorize it. But what's in here is actually for us to go, okay, well, now let's go do. And so I want to give just three quick options to you. How in the world do you get involved with family retreat? But more importantly, how do you just live a life where you're giving undeserved kindness to the people around you? Well, first of all, I know you can talk to Pastor Harrison because he and Rita, they came last summer to the camp that I get to lead in Murrieta. And... Apparently they liked it because they're coming back. And, um, and I know you can join a team that's coming with them. We were joking Friday night, this is actually all Matt's fault because Matt, their son, came to intern at Johnny and Friends two years ago 
and then last year was actually our youth leader for the for the family retreat. Um, you could ask them more about it, but God blew up Matt, Matt's uh, comfort zone last summer. Um, he w I've never seen him fearful, and then God just showed up, and it was really really cool. Um, but so you can talk to them about how do you join that team? How do you come in July down to Southern California and serve and connect with families? Just like the Light family that are looking for people who would just love them. Every family you saw as they arrived at family retreat and there's the big huge cheer, every family gets that. It is like the coolest thing to be a part of. And we have families that will go through multiple times. And then they get their phones out and they want to video it and they just, it's so much fun because the minute they step foot on the campus, it's an atmosphere that says undeserved kindness, the same kindness we all got from God. You, you just come as you are and we're gonna love and celebrate. So it's getting involved there. You could, maybe you can't come this summer, maybe it's busy or the calendar doesn't work. You could consider sponsoring a family. A typical family of four, it'll cost them about $1,300 for the week. Um, that's room, board, like they could show up with no money and they don't have to like then pay for, we do hot air balloon at, at our camp, we do horseback riding, we do some different things, all of that's just part of it. It's not like, I know sometimes you'll go to camps and you pay and then when you get there, <laughs> you pay. Um, at family retreat, it's, you're done. But you could prayerfully consider going, I just wanna sponsor a family, I wanna help a family get there and be part of it. But the other thing of how to get involved with undeserved kindness is, I know God is doing something here at Living Hope. Um, that, that's why I got invited this weekend. And so maybe God's saying, I just want you to start here. Start with the community here, start with your city, begin to go, okay, what does it look like to get involved in disability ministry at Living Hope? And then begin to see those doors open as well. Let me pray. Lord God, David gave such an amazing model to us of undeserved kindness, of how to receive grace and kindness from you, but then how to turn around and extend it to the least of these, to somebody who quite honestly deserved the complete opposite of kindness just because of the cultural norms. And yet David stood against that because of you. And Lord, you call us to the same thing. And so Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to live out undeserved kindness, Lord God, every day. Every day we have opportunities to interact with somebody, to love on somebody, to serve and care for somebody. And Lord, I pray that you would show us those opportunities. And as well, Lord God, if, if you're calling anybody here to, to get more involved with Johnny and Friends, with Family Retreat, with Disability Ministry, I pray that you would remove hindrances, you would remove any fears or obstacles, Lord God, but by your spirit and by your grace, help them to just go for it, Lord Jesus. Bless us in your mighty name. Amen.